Mr. Meldrum, we meet again. We meet again. How are you? I'm all good, man. How's the last couple of weeks been for you? And um, uh, busy as usual, but all good. All really good stuff. Any updates? Um, the book hasn't shipped yet. It hasn't arrived, which is very frustrating. Uh, so you haven't actually got the physical hardcover yet? I can't hold it in my hands and hold it on the screen yet, no. Do you have a name for it? Yep, uh, the Complete Body Transformation Expert. The Complete Body Transformation Expert. And that's you? Apparently. <laughs> when you started out, did you think that that would what would what you would become that is that what your intention 15 20 years ago 15 or many years ago no but it wasn't i when i started out what was 17 i think it's 17 years ago now i started out um basically looking for just work that was it it was i had an interest in it when I finished school, I didn't want to go to uni straight away. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I liked lifting things and putting them down again. Love that. And it wasn't until I met my first mentor when I realized how little I knew um, when I actually, which didn't take too long uh, to realize that, but that's when I became passionate about it. And that's when I wanted to make sure this was something that I did. And it wasn't, my original goal was never like a complete body transformation. It was always working around helping people in pain that then evolved into body transformation, but body tra body transformation, a bit more, I would even say just transformation rather than body transformation. That would be a better title, but not as catchy. Mm. We're looking at helping people with training, nutrition and mindset, which is a much more holistic approach. You, you said mentor. And as soon as you said mentor, I don't know if it's the person who I'm thinking about who um, I got introduced to. Do you know, remember how we met, who introduced us? Mr. Carl Montgomery. Yes. So for those who don't know Carl, I haven't spoke to Carl in quite some time. I don't know if you have, but Carl, I think without Carl Montgomery, I don't know if I would be on this path of holistic health. He planted so many seeds. He was so ahead of so many ideas and trends that get talked about today, right? Maybe, and I know you didn't always agree with some of the things, the ideas he had. Was he one of those guys that gave you that mentorship or maybe not we talk about a different person he was the second ah okay yeah so uh the first mentor was gary crozier he was the 2001 pt on the net international trainer of the year he now works heavily with the czech institute and pt enhance yeah which is a personal training business and training design software he was the first person that mentored me and he was the one who put me more on the path of injury rehabilitation dealing with pain etc similar to you and your experience car i had a little bit of an idea of all the other stuff that was going on and like all the other aspects of holistic health due to some of the training i did years ago with the czech institute but then when i met carl similar to you he kind of made me realize how much i was missing out on and then that created a a journey which still has not stopped. Absolutely. Do you, okay, so let's... Our first conversation is everywhere, right? It's talking chimps. We're just like... It's a, those who want to see the full three-hour conversation I have with Paul, you can go there on YouTube, Talking Chimps, or, or podcast platforms. But for here, it's like, all right, we know a lot of coaches and trainers are listening. We want to contextualize the conversation for them. You talk about mentors, and I wonder, a lot of young trainers and, and upcoming trainers who are doing their cert threes and fours now and even quite established in a few years in the game 
some of them don't even have necessarily physical mentors and they might have remote online mentors who they see from afar how important at how would you recommend people find the right or an effective mentor for them to guide them that's a really that's a really good question and that's uh something i when i talk to prospective mentoring students that's something that i kind of try and clarify straight away i think the first thing is the mentor the best way to figure out if mentors right to you is if they spend most of the first conversation listening rather than talking at you so you can't really mentor someone as a trainer as to, until you understand a number of different things about them um like for example like one student of mine he had he's he came to me first of all as a knee pain client like he wanted me to fix his knee he was a trainer i I, I, I dealt with that, we trained him. And then it grew organically into a mentoring type relationship as I asked him some questions about his business, how he approaches PT, how he does everything. Um, if I went at him and just said, hey dude, you don't know this, you don't know that, I can teach you all this and just talked about myself and my achievements for that long, it wouldn't have been a very beneficial relationship for him. I feel the first thing for choosing the right mentor is if do they listen to you and then do they understand a bit where you're coming from because you need to have some kind of context to be able to guide people i, I wouldn't be mentoring someone who but for example someone came to me and even though it has happened before but they came to me now and said hey i want to become a professional strength and conditioning coach mm. i would say cool lachlan wilmot like that's who I would say, go get him as your mentor, go see Carl, go see Lachlan at AA or down your way, depending on location, I'd say go see Woodford or some, Christian Woodford or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, like I know, yes, I mentored Lockie originally, but that kind of, I didn't have the skills at that time to help him with getting into professional strength conditioning. I helped him with all the other stuff like training normal people, assessment, etc. So once you understand, if the mentor understands you, that's a really good thing. Second thing is, is there context between what they've done and what you want to achieve? Right. So not that it'll ever perfectly marry up, like I don't think it'll ever perfectly marry up, but I think it just needs to be a similar direction. So for me, like I've never really, like I've trained multiple athletes in different sports, but I've never gone down that professional strength and conditioning route. So for me to give direction in that, uh, in that area, wouldn't, it wouldn't be ethical of me to do. It would be probably a poor choice and I wouldn't be able to give people the right guidance that they have based on experience. Whereas someone like Lockie or Christian or Carl, they'd be able to give a lot more guidance that would be more beneficial than what I could give. And that would be also something where it's okay to have multiple mentors hmm. as well. Like it's unrealistic to expect one mentor to give you everything that you need. Yeah, you don't have to be monogamous, right? No, exactly. It's, yeah, it's it's not marriage. It's, it's like it's... <laughs> It's a bit of a cult, no. Um, <laughs> so like, for example, myself, I have a, a business mentor at the moment who I'm working with, which is all good. If some, But I also have students that I mentor in their businesses as well, but I'm not mentoring them in stuff that I haven't done, I have no experience with. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like, to me, it's the idea of like reliability and validity in, in a research study, right? Yeah, I want to find somebody who's done along the lines of what I want to do or is the person that I would like to emulate or become in some way. Is that where we're going? Yeah, that's exactly right. So with my mentors like the Gary, he knew he knew how to train people and orthopedic stuff incredibly well. So yeah, 
I was like, you know what? I'm going to mentor you. I don't really care how much it costs, how much time it takes or how much it sucks, like how much effort I have to put in. I'll do it. When I met Carl and Carl and I, our first meeting was a fight. We literally had an argument at the fitness expo. Now, when you say fight, argument. Well, we didn't throw punches. No, but was it, you know, was it, it was a quite heated conversation. Yeah, it was confrontational. What were you guys talking about? Something about how, like, dealing with some kind of conditional injury, he claimed he could do it and, like, fix the problem in, like, something like 15 minutes. Something ludicrous. <laughs> and I said, Carl, you're full of shit. Like, I was like, straight up, you're full of it. And he's like, nah, and he started going on and on. And we basically got into a little bit of a heated discussion and the most beneficial way to deal with that. And then he challenged me the whole bunch of things I knew or didn't know and then i said all right cool what's this course that you're talking about and he's like it's sports kinesiology it's this this and this i'm like all right cool when's it start he's like whatever date it was and i was like cool i'll see you there well, and sure enough i literally walked to i went to the college the next day and paid the full fee up front <laughs> that almost seems like out of not spite but um it's a little spite a little, bit, <laughs> a little bit was that the course he run? Because people don't really... Kinesiology is a very common term in America. Um, yep. It's not really a term used too much here. How would you define kinesiology? Do you think it's important for those early coaches and trainers to understand kinesiology? Or it's kind of already ingrained in what we learned, but do you want to explain it? In t kinesiology is just another word. There's two types. There's a UK holistic definition, which is using manual muscle testing. Uh, kinesiology in the American-Canadian definition is biomechanics. Yes. And movement stuff. So in terms of the muscle testing stuff for new coaches, not super relevant, but the biomechanics and learning how things work, like I don't think there's, I don't think there's a better foundation for becoming a good coach than understanding how the person that you're working with, understanding the basic principles behind how they move. I don't think there could be a better education. Can you give a little bit of a crash course on biomechanics? Because I think it's a big gap for a lot of coaches you know, and when they, they can be intimidating for people doing it because they can look at like different classes of levers and, and then they can look at, you know, especially you can get comp uh, a little bit finicky and tricky when you start to uh, talk about um, biomechanics outside of the linear planes. You start to talk about um, rotational uh, biomechanics. Um, how would you express and teach that in an effective way if you had like 15 minutes? Yeah, cool. All right. Uh, I borrowed liberally from other people in my mentoring program and a lot of the coaches who come to me they the context of how i do it they come to me and they're not i've got some coaches who are super experienced some who are relatively inexperienced and new to the industry and when i start saying we need to help people in pain or help people move better they're like look at me like what did i just say so the first thing i do is i break it down and i bring it all the way back to the joint by joint approach by cook and boil yeah just because it's a simple model that has really good payoff to resistance training, traditional resistance training done in the gym. Um, and it's really easy to understand. So what I do is I explain there's this concept called the joint by joint, which basically stipulates that joints alternate between two functions, mobility and stability. And the first thing with that is we need to define what mobility and stability are. Because if we're not speaking the same language and you think there's something different to what I'm saying, it will people will be confused. It's like if you were speaking German right now and I was speaking Dutch, we get a few words, but we, we wouldn't be having a, a beneficial dialogue. 
So I define mobility as range of motion around a joint, physiological range of motion. And then I always get like about 20 different definitions of stability. I use it as uh, control in the presence of change. Control in the presence of change. That's a very, it's pretty general, like in the, in the pro control in the presence of, I guess we're assuming physiological change. We don't need, it doesn't need to be said or something. Well, joint change. So we'll use an example of a Romanian deadlift, okay? Mm. Uh, there's change happening at a joint, the hip. The hip is going through flexion extension in a Romanian deadlift. The knees, maybe a little bit, but every the lumbar spine is maintain, sorry, maintaining integrity in the presence of change. So you should see the lumbar spine maintaining a neutral curve while there's change happening at the hip joint. Mm -hmm. A lot of coaches will say stability is like, oh, it's a plank. Well, no, plank is an exercise. That's not a term uh, or how strong your core is. No, you, stability is much greater than the core. So st stability can be extrapolated as integrity in the presence of change. Say in the squat, you've got movements happening at the ankle, knee, hip. The lumbar spine shouldn't really be deviating too much. It should be maintaining integrity. And on the flip side of that, if you take a little bit further in some an exercise like a Jefferson curl, like a flexion type moment in the spine, there should be segmental stability in the presence of change. Because we look at the studies of McGill and all that kind of stuff with like disc biomechanics and disc injuries, the study they did where they had fluoroscopes and the power lifter um, actually bulged disc mm -hmm. during a lift. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, there was a segmental, there was a lack of segmental control. Yeah. And the change was they were going through hip extension with lumbar flexion while deadlifting a stupid amount of weight. So I get people just to understand those two very, they're quite rudimentary definitions. They have a little bit of flexibility in them so they can understand what each joint should be doing in the main resistance training exercises that we're going to be doing. From there, I'll break down each joint. So, you know, big toe mobility, foot stability, ankle mobility, knee mobility, but then slowly introduce the concepts of we're not only looking at it in the sagittal plane, we now need to understand the body in the frontal plane and the transverse plane and do those planes of motion create different stability slash mobility demands at the joints. So the knee, like we're just going to keep it pretty cruisy. Oops. I'm oh, just gonna, screen sharing. I, I might as well to give oh, people some visual. That's beautiful. So um, beautiful. This is All what right, we so created for our course. So you, you, if you see anything that you don't like, Paul, you tell us. Well, Shirley Simon, I do like her, so that's good. Um, I like the Christmas light analogy too. That's really good. Um, that's really good. Uh, that's so the knee, that's DeFranco, and uh, I, I believe. Ah, uh, cool. So the knee, like we said, ankle mobility, yep, and a little bit of stability, yes, because you need to. That's where we start to look at inversion, eversion sprains. The knee stability, yep, it needs stability in the frontal plane and against transverse plane forces, but it needs mobility in uh, sagittal. So if someone's had like say a knee operation, ACL, they need to get full knee extension first. And then you want to also get full knee flexion as part of it. So that's where we start breaking. I start pushing it just a little bit further to get people to understand these things in a little bit more detail. And what I do with coaching my students is I come up with ways of assessing each one of those components that are quite simple and easy for them to do in the gym, which aren't overstepping the scope of practice and also give them indicators when they may need to refer out, particularly if someone's like suffering, uh, but hip mobility and stability. Yep. So the hip needs mobility and, you know, flexion, extension, external and internal rotation, abduction, and adduction, but it needs to provide stability in the frontal plane. Mm -hmm. So what you guys got there is actually, 
Yeah, it's all right. I'll, I'll tolerate it. It's really good. <laughs> well, okay. Let's not just tolerate because I don't like. I don't even like that. Let's let's upgrade it. Let's refine it because I think you see in a lot of uh, JBJ diagrams they don't always put mobility and stability. Some people just give one. But I think the thing about this is it's a continuum. It's not yeah. like a joint is only stable or it's only mobile. It's a continuum of propensity towards one or the other. Yeah. Would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. So there's always like a, yeah, continuum shades of gray scale that it works on. Cool. So with the lumbar spine, yep, for sure. Stability. Like you want to see a stable lumbar spine in your, you know, compound lifts. Yeah. Pretty easy. But you also want the lumbar spine to have mobility. It is designed to flex. It is designed to extend and laterally laterally flex and to rotate. The degree of that is smaller than what you'd see at say the thoracic spine or cervical spine due to the unique architecture of it yeah. so the lumbar vertebrae they're big boys they're solid thick versus cervical vertebrae like the c1's like a little it's a flake it's like a it's like a it's like a cornflake it's so thin mm. it's not that thin but you get the kind of idea so yeah you want to what i do with my students is once they get the base concept of what the joint area is more predisposed to then we start coloring on the little bits of nuance to it because you, the thing with biomechanics as you said before it's incredibly complex it's a really complex topic and it can get really heady and really wordy and then really just real pain in the butt really really quickly yeah. so what we do is i build layers of understanding on it like we could then from biomechanics like we could go into sling mechanisms and how they affect things and how they work but if we try and do all those things in one one go people's head explode and they don't have any framework to work with. I'd rather have a student have a more rudimentary understanding of a joint by joint, like with its basic knee stable, hip mobile, lumbar stable. So that when they're training a client, at least they're gonna be doing, they'll be following those rules and doing it well. Then as they get more advanced, we can stack more knowledge on top of them. So they then have more nuance to deal with. So it's kind of like, um, you know, when you're playing, like we use basketball as an example, mm. you don't start by uh, doing turnaround jump shots. That's not your first skill. You get, you learn how to shoot free throws before you start. You start with the basic stuff first and then add layers and layers of complexity on it. That's the exact way how I teach biomechanics. I start here. And then once they've started to understand the nuance, then I'll go into things like fascial anatomy, musculoskeletal slings, compensatory movements, uh, and then like looking at different levers, arm positioning and how that affects muscle recruitment, for example, uh, commissary cellular techniques, lots of different things, but we start with this basic foundation first. I like that a lot. Let me get out of that. Yeah, that's that really grounds it in some practicality while not being too overwhelming because you can get super overwhelming talking about moment arms and um, Newton's laws and how they all apply to different contexts. So I think that's a really practical way to start. Yeah, it, you can get really overwhelmed. Like if I pick up, uh, oh, what's the book? Um, Kinesio Donald something, Kinesiology Movement of the Human Body. Yeah. You look at that yeah. book, you open it up in any page and you're like, what? I don't understand. Why am I doing maths? Why is this physics right. here? Right. And it's really useful. Donald Newman is the name. It's really good information. It's really, really useful for understanding different things and getting a deeper understanding. But can you use that tomorrow in the gym so with my students i want to always give them at least three bits of information per session they have with me 
that they can use tomorrow in the gym. That's great. That can help their clients get better. And once they've done that, cool, let's add some, let's add some color to it. Then let's add some flash. Then let's put our Instagram filter on and make it really funky. And when they've got that, depending on the student, then I will then push them. Depends how far they want to know biomechanics. But for a lot of them, they just get to the point where their biomechanic understanding is pretty decent. And then it's not knowing more for a PT in a lot of contexts won't necessarily improve the their ability to get results with their clients. And then we need to start focusing on something else. See, that makes me think, okay, we're talking about, okay, how can a, a student, a coach get the most out of their mentor? But now let's flip it because you actually just said, you answered one of the, you planted one of the seeds. How can a mentor and a coach now facilitate the learnings of a student? Because we have all types of people listening. So an established coach like yourself, maybe like someone with a handful of years of experience, maybe they start mentoring some students and some young coaches. I think you said one thing, give them like a small handful of practical things they can do immediately. What else would you recommend for the mentors now to more effectively communicate and mentor the student? So I'll run through my process um, because I've spent a lot of time putting this together. So the first thing that I did I started mentoring students that just come to me and I was like, oh, I need to teach them something. What am I going to do? So I taught my assessment process because my viewpoint was, or my point of view was that most trainers didn't have a structure to assess their clients to put them into a decent program. That was basically it. And then it was like, all right, cool. You aren't doing programs. You're just making up your sessions on the fly. If we fix that and change that, you'll be a better coach. There's no questions asked. So after a period of time, what I started to do was put together the trends that I saw with different people uh, and where all these coaches were struggling with. And I started writing it down like, an, like how you should. And I basically worked out there was a bunch of different areas that people need help in. It's assessing and correcting things, program design, nutrition coaching, coaching strategies, business. They were the main areas that I found that I was just repeating myself again and again and again. So what I do now with my coaching students is they come to me, they say, hey, I want mentoring. I listen to their context, their scenario, uh, what their journey is thus far, their education. I just basically ask a ton of questions. So I want to understand them quite deeply. Um, from there, I say, all right, cool. We're going to do an audit on your business and your processes. Because I work with mainly PTs PTs are running businesses. That's how I look at it every single time. And when I look at their businesses, they're always rubbish in terms of they don't know how many sessions they've got. They don't know uh, how many leads they get. They don't know how they generate leads, except that Fitness First gives them to them. They don't have any of these things kind of planned out. They're messaging people 24 hours a day, booking appointments. So what I do first is I go, all right, cool. These are the systems that we're going to build so then you reduce your stress levels. What's one key system, or one or two key systems? You don't have to like give away everything, but one or two key systems that you- Automated booking and automated payments. Okay, so direct debit system, what's your go-to? Uh, Stripe, it's probably the most, Stripe or if they, go, if they have a facility, I use Zenbly. Um, Stripe if they're a one-on-one -on -one trainer because they don't need the features that Zenbly has. Zenbly is like a mind-body type app that uses AI. Hmm. Um, if they're one-on-one -on -one trainer, like Stripe works perfectly fine. It's really... Are you familiar with Pay Advantage? Yes. See, I'm I'm looking at the two right now and comparing them. And I, we're in the pretty nuances right now. But uh, 
it seems like Pay Advantage have a much more favorable fee structure than Stripe. Do you see something different that Stripe offer? Oh, I'm... I just use Stripe because of uh, ease of use, really, and because it's integration into different websites and people want to do stuff down the track. Got it. Um, keep moving. So Stripe, really easy booking system. I don't care if it's Calendly, Acuity, they can use Google Cal. I don't care yeah. as long as they use it and it's automated for them. So they're not having to follow up their clients all day Sunday. Uh, I speak to some students like, how many hours do you do a week following up people to book them in? Oh, about four hours. I'm like, what the hell are you doing for four hours? So they will, it will be an automated email or it will be assumed by the client? App. Client will book in via an app. So Google Calendar, how would you facilitate that? Um, I'll normally get them set up. I personally normally use Acuity uh, for most people because Acuity also links into Stripe. So if people want to update their payment details, they can do it all in one place. So Acuity works... It does it send a text message, an email? It's a both. Okay. So you can set up whichever parameter you find more effective for your client base. So like I've I've gotten it tells you when people are booking too. Like I've gotten three texts during this um phone uh the Zoom call of people booking initial consultation calls. I have a Facebook ad going, so um I've had three leads book in times for me through this, which then automatically syncs up to my cap my acuity calendar which comes through on my phone. So then I can see on my calendar each day what I have to do. So that's how I, I set up, like it's basically, it's a little bit fiddly in the first time, but once you've got it, it's really easy. Like I, when I was doing semi-private training um, after DC, I would be doing, I think I'd have like a maybe, probably execute 80 to 90 sessions a week. So it was all semi-private. I didn't do one minute of booking each week. I, I just had my time constraints in, people booked it in. I just knew I had to be there from say six till 10. That was my day, I was done. So I, what I try and do with all my students initially is see how far behind eight ball they are with their business. Cause I want to make sure that their business serves them, not the other way around. Yeah. Start how you want to finish. Yeah. Most people don't, they don't do that. They just kind of go for it and hope for the best. And then they try and introduce systems when they're already packed and then getting people to adopt a new system once they're used to a certain way of doing things always meets resistance. The reason I do that is to limit their overall amounts of mental stress and mental drain because it affects their learning ability directly. Um, less stress you are, the easier it is to learn. That's pretty apparent to all of us. Once you've got that done, that takes like, you know, only one or two sessions, a bit more intensive. Uh, everything that I talked about before, the assessment, the correction, the program design, the coaching development, the business development and nutrition coaching, I have an online platform for. So I use a Kajabi based membership site and it drips the content to them out in monthly allotments. So I've designed 12 months worth of content on each of those. This is a mentorship. Yeah, this is the mentorship. So I've designed, so everything I say to my students is backed up and they can reference it. Does that make sense? I want them to always be able to read and to watch something twice, three times, four times, whatever it needs for them to be able to get it under their, into their heads, under their belt, and they can refer back to the information based on our sessions. So they've always got that there. What they, the other thing I do is on a weekly basis is we pick a target that we're focused on until they feel confident in that. And then we move on to the next part of the coaching skills that they may struggle with. So I try and address things from like all different angles, make sure the business supports what they need to do, make sure they've got 
resources and information available to them that they can just look at on their own time and understand the material. I spend time then where I work out with their collaboration, what we need to focus on, where they need extra coaching and development. And then underneath it all, I provide accountability in the form of, I check in with them every week outside of that and saying, hey, you've done absolutely nothing of your lessons. You've been lazy as hell. You haven't updated your business spreadsheet, like how many clients you're serving, et cetera. Um, let's get on top of that. So I try and address it from basically all angles for, for my students. So you'll have maybe one video call mentorship a week and in, or, in or in person and they'll get the mentor. So that'll be included and they'll get the 12 month or whatever the mentorship system yep. included in that. Yeah. But that's almost like homework. Hey, this is what you're investing in. You do one of these per week, for example. Uh, well, there's, there's probably a, the content in there is more than a year's worth. That's the thing. There's like 32 lessons in the first month and they address all those different topics. So I put it there so they can then, whichever one they want to focus on the most, they can focus on that and the other stuff supports them. So by month five of it, you should be pretty good at all those different areas. You should be pretty well-versed in how to do good programming, good assessment, good nutrition, good business development and good coaching. The next seven months are like, do you want to excel? Mm. So they don't have to do it. I want everyone to finish the first five months of material at, but if they want to do things properly, it's going to take, I, I'm very upfront with my students. I'm like, it's going to take you more than a year to get good at this. Mm -hmm. You know, from your own experience and how much you study, it's taking you more than a year to get good at this. It's years. It's a lifetime of work, really. Yeah. So I put pretty much everything I know into it. And I say, look, yeah, it'll, if you did nothing but this, you'd get through it in a year and you'd be really damn good. Mm. Um, you'd forget stuff. Uh, but I, my students, like one of them's been... My average student life cycle, besides the two that get overwhelmed in the first week, is been, I get students for about three to five years. That's a really good, what do you attribute to that very high retention rate? Um, giving a damn is the first one. Yeah, that helps. I, 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 like they message me and they have a question, like I'm happy to get back to them. I, I care about how their businesses go. Like one of them, I actually, they've just like brought me on board as part of their business now because of the value of the mentorship where they want me to run their business for them. So then they can concentrate on the coaching side of it. Um, I provide them with a lot of material, obviously, uh, from the description. So they know that they can get the answers that they need for the problems that they need to solve for their clients. They have that there. And um, they're probably the, the two main things that keep the retention so high. I provide them solutions and I care. Do you have a, I wonder also if you have a bit of a, like your coaching style and experience and position has a bit of a selection bias towards very high adhering, high achiever, A type personality. I'm not sure. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does. Because I say that to then ask, what do you do and encounter when you get consistent poor adherence? And people just, they're investing in something, but they're just not doing the thing that you have laid out for them. Yep. I call, uh, with, I differentiate how I do things a little bit differently with clients and students. So if a client is um, struggling with adherence and stuff like that, my coaching is a lot more client-centered, yeah. which is a lot more focusing on them solving their own problems and being collaborative with them. With my mentoring students, because they're a, 
there's real uh, there's real short-term consequences that are quite severe. People are invested in the business and it fails. If someone's like struggling to have a good diet as a normal client, the consequences aren't going to happen immediately. They will happen over the long term, but we've got longer to deal with that than someone who's like, you know what, I'm not doing any education. I suck with my clients and my business is going to hell. They've got a consequence, which is they're going to lose their business. Mm. So my mentoring students, I call them on, I call them out on it very, very quickly. I'll say to them, you're not doing what you need to do. What is going on? Explain it to me. I fired some before because of that, because I'm like, look, this isn't, I've told other people to quit being a PT or quit the fitness industry because it's not for them. So I think I'm okay with doing that. I know it sounds like I'm really harsh and really come across, but if someone isn't, doesn't show, it's an, it's an industry that you can't do without passion. Like you've got to like it. You've got to love it basically to do well. You've got to be, a, you've got to be about it. You've got to be, I've never seen anyone do well who doesn't give a shit. Mm. <laughs> like it, it's it. The people who do really well in this, they, they care about this and they will invest in their education and they'll put the time in. If they don't put the time in, what they're going to do is they're going to end up wasting my time. They're going to, which is, you know, I'd rather help someone else who wants to be helped. They're also going to waste their time and their client's time and they're not going to succeed anyway. And it's going to lead, the ramifications are always bigger than one person. They're going to put 10 people off exercising that they worked with or working with a PT. They're going to lose their business. They're going to lose money. They're going to have debt from that. It's the easiest solution to go, look, this isn't the right thing for you or I'm not the right mentor. I think we should call it quits. Is that how you say it exactly pretty much? Uh, normally I'll ask them how serious they are and I'll say, sometimes I put the question as them, it's like, I'll say, why should I continue mentoring you? Hmm. And that's, uh, that will probably be the first point of call. Like, why should I continue working with you? Because I, I want them to be able to justify it to me because what that does, that then creates more drive within them because yeah. they're the ones telling me what's going on. I'm not saying you should work with me because I'm awesome. Yeah, I should keep mentoring. Well, I want you to keep mentoring me because I really want to be successful and it reinforces what they want. Um, if they go through that process, and they say how important it is and then that they need it and blah, blah, blah. And then what I see is that that doesn't happen and they're not putting in the effort and all that kind of stuff. It's really not that important to them. Their actions are reflecting that. I put a lot of effort into my mentoring students. That's a lot of content to develop. It's a lot of stuff. So I want them to get the most out of it. Yeah. And if it's really not important to them, I'd rather not take their money. Absolutely. I'm not about, uh, then there's better ways to make money than mentoring PTs. Right. And it's that's, like, I, it's like, it, it's really a, a not, not maybe not a sacred or precious thing, but it kind of is. It's like the service that you end up offering, it's like you are not giving up, but you're investing a part of your life and time and energy and life force into somebody else. And why right. shouldn't you have the high standards to only want to work with people who are equally invested in you? Yeah, exactly. It's I look at it a little bit different to when I had employees. Like when I had a bunch of employees, I it took me a while to recognize that they probably wouldn't be invested as I was. No, because they don't own a piece of the business. They don't own a piece of the business, exactly. Uh, but when working with students, uh, most of the time they have their own business. They should be. Yeah. If I'm more heavily invested in their business and their business success than they are, yeah. that's a major problem. Absolutely. So that's where I will be very quick to call people up on it. Okay. Then this is the position you're at now, but I wonder 
when you started out in the first couple of years in the industry, was it similar? You started out with these strong standards or was it like, I want to work with as many or everyone as possible? Everyone as possible. Yeah. Everyone as so. possible. So with clients, I'd work with everyone. Um, I was a very, I'm still a bit of an adherent of working with everyone uh, in terms of, I can, I feel like if you've been doing this for a long time, I do it for 17 years. Like I said, I'm not the right person to get mentoring if you want to become a pro SNC coach. Yeah. I'm the right person to get mentoring if you want to become good at training people and working with people and communicating with people. So I can get you, you know, say, let's say that's 60, 70, whatever percent of the way there. If you want to get to the other 30%, like the whole way, then you go see someone in that field. So when I'm working with clients, I can get pretty much any client 90% of the way to their goal. Um, if they're a normal general population client, obviously 100%. But like, if they want to get like in the bodybuilding type shape, cool, I can get a 9% way there. You need to go finish off with a posing coach and you need to finish off with a prep coach. Um, with my mentoring students, I'm a bit stricter on what I do compared to general population clients or normal training, my personal clients, uh, just because my skills in that area are a bit more direct and a bit more refined. Okay. But that's an important point to note that at the start of your career, you, I think it's important distinction that some people are going to watch this and they're going to think, oh, oh, Paul's successful. He's really selective, has these high standards. I'm just starting out. Why don't I be that? But I think that can set you up for a very limited scope and almost like, like you can't really afford to be super selective when you haven't really trained anybody or trained many people. Yeah. So I've had this um, discussion with a lot of people like the concept of niching. Yeah. Having a niche. I think when you're really good, niches are awesome. Mm. Because you can charge a lot more money. You can work with a group of clients that suits your skill set, etc. Um, it's You can target your marketing. It all becomes really well. If you're a beginner uh, and you're just starting out, I don't care what qualification you've got. Uh, I don't care where you've studied at the moment you still haven't got skin in the game yet. Hmm. Like skin in the game is super important. You need to learn to work with as many people as you can. So you can screw up in as many different ways as possible and learn around that. Absolutely. I remember talking to Lachlan about it and he, uh, like he said one of the most important things he learned from being a regular PT, like working with normal clients, is he learned to talk to people. Yeah. He learned to communicate. Because when he was working with um, the football players and stuff like that, they're not as interested in strength and conditioning as he was. There's no chance. They, they want to kick a football around and they want to drink beer and talk shit. Uh, he learned to communicate with a whole bunch of different people. And then when you can communicate with people, you get better buy-in anyway. So you get better outcomes. So becoming a more well-rounded, by coaching everyone and working with totally different demographics and different types of people and different goals, you become a more well-rounded coach. Absolutely. That's that's such an important lesson, I think. And, but I want to back up to the conversation of, like we talked about creating systems and processes, which is something that I've been kind of really getting a bit obsessed about in, in the recently over the last year, especially 2020, because it's like shown us and exposed to us how people don't have systems and processes. And when you are and you have to be exposed to adapting on the fly to financial economic turmoil, are you prepared for that? So I think we've listed two really important pr things, productivity and automation, and that's 
automating scheduling. So you're not doing this all the time, doing stuff that can be automated. And the direct debit, like if someone is paying you for a service repeatedly, let that run in the background. What yeah. else, like if we, let's talk about the analogy of Neuralink. Are you familiar with Elon Musk's Neuralink? Yeah. So it's like increasing, for those who don't know, we're trying to well, solve human health ailments, um, number one, but it's through the proxy of increasing the bandwidth that our brain has to access and absorb uh, information. So if we could automate or regulate more processes to help increase the bandwidth that we have accessible as our human beings, what would be the other processes you would focus on and systems that we could create, not only as coaches, but as human beings? Well, that's a, that's a good, um, that's a really good question. Um, so we'll start with coaching, for example. Um, co processing as coaching, I think systemizing as much of your program design process as possible. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I think starting your, like writing every program, there's a point for individualization, but there's a point for things also, people need similar types of things as well. Like we have, our, you know, big six movements, our hinges and all that kind of stuff. So individualizing kind of like your framework that you work for in programming, so you can apply that to people at the right time. Yep, systemize that, but with the flexibility to individualize when needed. The next thing is after that, you program design, systemize like you kind of nutrition coaching with clients, like how you would do that in terms of what's the process that you get people to follow to then work with. So for me, I get people to start off with a food journal and then every two weeks we update their habits based on that. So we still have to do work. It's just, we do the work in the same way. Now you've listed two, I'm going to interrupt because two very important processes that can take many hours to design manually. If you do it manually every time, it can take you a long time, right? To be individualized. So how would you recommend coaches go about creating those systems? Would you then, hey, look to somebody like you, pay someone like you to then get the uh, templates or just sit down and create them if you have the knowledge yourself and then it's done in your own way that you want to do it? Good question. I would... Well, what I did was I sat down, created it, stuffed it up, sat down, created it, and went through that process again and again and again. Yeah. I think uh, a better, depends on what resources you have available to you. Like there's a lot of resources, like if you want to do nutrition coaching through habits, you could sign up for Pro Coach with Precision Nutrition, for example, and that automates the whole process or you don't have to do anything. Uh, I don't think that's the best option. I would recommend you create your own system so it has your own flavor, yeah. your own style, and you, then use a mentor, a coach or someone else to then check it for shortcomings, potential flaws and things that your own biases may have overlooked. Okay, great. So if you, cause I think if everyone, everyone coaches slightly differently and there's eight commonalities that we should all be looking at with our coaching, like that, that makes sense. Like, but we need to make sure that we don't miss things that are really, really screaming at us. And quite often, if you spend a lot of time doing something, putting effort in, writing it up, creating it, being so proud of your little baby that you put together, mm. you may miss something because you, you, you don't have the bandwidth there to look at it. So it's exact same process as someone writing a book. They give it to an editor. Yes. And the editor fixes it. So I get my students to create their own, say, value packs for how that their offerings are to clients, their own uh, nutrition coaching based on what their understanding and knowledge is. And then I look at it and say, 
cool, that looks really good. Have you thought about doing this? P.S. You've missed this. Or D, that looks really cool. Can I steal that? Because mm. they'll also have things that I may have forgotten, for example. Okay. And then it becomes a little bit of a collaborative effort and everyone gets the best outcome. All right. So we've hit, I think those are so important for coaches. And it's like, it's, it's a weakness of mine that I'm needing to address now. It's like, why am I sitting down? Like, why are we sitting down writing manual programs for each individual client's when yes individualization is important but you can individual like carl talks about it as well at aa you can individualize and still have a template and you can save yourself so much time yeah exactly that's what i do with all my clients um so like i have a ton of templates on team builder <sighs> carl and i use the exact same tools team, team builder yeah so at aa they use team builder as their program design software uh, carl and lachlan put me onto it years ago and you can create a program team builder and you can say you might do a three-day full body split program, full body training program where you train comp, uh, multi, like bilateral exercises Monday, unilateral exercises Wednesday, bilateral exercises Friday, it's a random example. You can then t save that as workout and title it whatever you want to title it, as long as you remember it and put some description notes in there. If you have a client comes in, come in and they say, cool, I want to train three days a week, Awesome. Watch it, uh, do your movement assessment, whatever it is. And then you just put that client's name in, hit apply program. And then say for Alex, Alex gets four, four, six, eight, 12 week periodized program come up. All you then do is you jump into that individual's calendar and say you've got barbell deadlift as your bilateral hip dominant exercise. Uh, let's just say you don't have the range of motion to do that and you want to use trap bar deadlift, just go substitute, select all hit the button and then trap bar deadlift free populates where the barbell deadlift was. Wow. And that's worth the 500 or $1,200 a year as opposed to using something like Excel? Oh, you can do it in Excel too. Okay. I, I like Team Builder just because I, I like having an app. There's my shallow narcissistic side coming through. <laughs> um, it's clients, My I used it in the semi-private environment and the clients like putting an app on their phone and just entering their stuff in as they did it rather than having to go into a Google sheet. But if the Google Sheet uses does the same function, use okay. that. Whatever, like Teamville is a tool. Yeah, doesn't mean you have to use it. Like Google Sheets is a tool. Google Docs, uh, Train Heroic. There's, God, there's a thousand of them. It's whichever one do you like using the best of. Which one do you and which one will you use? Okay. I hate Google Sheets. I just don't like Google stuff. I just doesn't do it for me. I just like I look at it and go, I hate this. I hate the aesthetic. So I'm not going to use it. So I'd rather pay the money for Team Builder. And I've also got a couple of years of equity built into Team Builder in terms of the amount of templates I have saved. Yes. So it cost me more in time to put them across. For sure. So we've hit automation from direct debits to to calendar, to coaching temp, uh, programming templates, to nutrition templates. What else would you suggest, even in coaching, or we can zoom out and look at life to increase oh, wow. the bandwidth of automation? Cool. Um, I love outsourcing food. Hey, I think it's great. Yes. <laughs> See, you realize how many hours a week that you spend. Actually, I was talking about this on my podcast the other day. You spend so much time meal prepping and eating. You got to eat, but um, preparing food. Yeah. So what's your go-to there? Uh, I'll, um, I'll even do a meal prep in one hit. Uh, uh, for me, I don't, I'll actually like cooking. Like I'm, I'm not bad at it. I'm getting better. Uh, my wife seems to like my cooking too, so so I can't really get rid of it totally. I've have outsourced um, like the 
breakfast I'll make the same thing every day so it's pretty routine but I'll outsource my two main meal the two lunch meal of the day meals that I have eight four times a day so I'll get something like my muscle chef or core power foods or whatever it is I just kind of rotate through whichever one I want and I just steam some veggies at the same time so my cooking time becomes like pull the microwaves on and I'll do something else so I'll outsource those because if I do it for three meals a day I also lose my head I get a bit bored um I like the process of cooking and eating, so I will outsource, you know, 50% of my food just because it's easy to do. Grocery-wise, I know what I like to cook. I have that on an automatic order. So I set that up so I get groceries delivered every Monday morning. I don't have to do anything about that. I don't even think about it. Okay. I try and most of the things I do, I try and if I do it repeatedly, like in business, they say if you do something three times, yeah. systemize it. Yeah. Well, I, I get food every day, every week, so I may as well systemize it to some yeah. point. That's it. I, I've always, that being said, but I always leave a little bit of room for variety and fun. Like I don't, I don't do that on every weekend because I like going out and eating. Okay. I, I, so Monday to Friday, cool. I'm systemized. I don't need to worry about it. It works for both of us. That's cool. Weekend, we can do whatever the hell we want. Right. So there's flexibility built within the, the structure, which is a beautiful balance, I think. Yeah. Uh, other things, uh, well, I don't really have much else. And most <laughs> everything else is business. So everything in my business is pretty much automated. I have a list of, a list of tasks that I need to do either daily, weekly, or monthly. How do, do you, how do you put that down? Is that pen and paper? Is that a, a, a app? a big painful whiteboard that I could see every single time. Yes. That's and then at, like I'll just, say each week I have to film uh, 30 videos for team builder. That was something I was doing, like just making sure every exercise in my library, which was like hundreds of videos had needed like just a 10 to 20 second video, just demonstrating the form for clients who are online. I would just get up ticket. Once I've done that task, if I had to write five modules a week for the mentoring tick, and if I um, didn't do it, it would get increased for the next week. The extra note, like I, it's not like I, because sometimes some weeks just get a bit, shit happens. Uh, I would then book it in the week in advance. Like, hey, this time you need to do the things that you missed out from last week. But most of the time it works pretty successfully. Okay. I think that's such an important component is you have something to keep you accountable. And there's something very uh, visual um, about having a physical written down whiteboard or diary and then ticking it off gives this dopamine hit of achievement. Yeah. That I think is... Take advantage of it because, you know, it's good ticking stuff off. It's good getting likes. It's like all that kind of stuff. Um, it's human nature. So there's that documentary that's now on Netflix, like The Social Dilemma, how it's everything on social media is like organized to make you addicted to it, to make you go on it more and do it more. Mm. Why not apply some of those same principles to the things that you need to do? Right. So you get that same kind of engineer your environment. So you feel rewarded and productive for doing the stuff that you need to do to drive your business forward. So well said. Engineer your environment in a way that can maximize success. Yes. Yeah. Through those automated habits and tools that you can use. I think business is a very relevant one. Every, almost everybody listening, whether you realize it or not, you are a business and you own a business, right? Especially yeah. as a coach. So. Let's go fantasy now. If money's no issue, yeah, I, I, I can imagine Paul, relatively successful guy, financially stable. Okay, great. 
Now, let's level up. If we were talking seven figures or high, high six figures, okay? I'm making yeah. some assumptions here. Um, what would you then automate from there? What would you systemize? Cool. Uh, good question. The first thing, first two things, well, one of them is already happening. One of them is uh, administrative, administrative task, which is uh, going to be VA'd. I'm going to get a VA to take care of that kind of stuff. And that actually is not that expensive, right? Like, No, it's not. That's why it's happening now. Um, but once it gets to the point where, say, there's high six figures and everything can be outsourced, well, I'm already looking at this process anyway, like hiring another coach to go through my processes and systems to execute the same stuff. So then I can focus again on even more higher, higher thinking, higher order task or outcomes. So like creative strategy for uh, future business development, some of the stuff we talked about in the other podcast. My next outcome is to hire a coach hmm. to then take care of the like program design stuff where I would then automate or schedule with them the exact same processes that I use. So, uh, hey, but for me, one of the things I do is I design a template program once a week, uh, something like a 12 week program, eight week program, whatever it is, uh, because that may be a progression from a further pro program Reason being is because my program library gets bigger and bigger. So it gives me more options to work with more clients um, and to make that, that process easier. So I would hire someone to do that exact same process. Interesting. How, where are you looking to get your VA from? Like, how do you pick that? I speak to business owners in the same space who successfully use VAs. And I ask them what kind of task they outsource to their VA, what kind of time constraints they are, and what they needed to do to make the VA successful. So with that, the context of that is in my former business, my uh, business partner, we went through quite a few VAs and the, because they weren't achieving the outcomes that we wanted to achieve. The problem was it was our fault because we didn't give them a clear set of instructions, guidance or rules, a way to operate systems for them to do, we're kind of like, all right, cool. We need you to do this, make it happen. And then they're like, eh, how's this look? Nah, it sucks. That would be this constant back and forth where it actually created more work than what it was worth. So what I want to do with the VAs is I'm basically documenting down the things that I'm doing yeah. anyway, and then putting it to the VA and say, Hey, this is how I do something. So spend a week, they'll basically spend like up to a week training and learning how to use all those systems. Then after that, easy, they can go onto their own devices and I'll just only need to check in like once a week for 15 minutes to half an hour to make sure it's all running according to plan. That's great. I think that's such a, I mean, we, we can talk like 20 to $100 a week. I, th I think you could get someone like that to save you like a dozen hours a week. Yes. Um, and so like, that's the question of, what is your time worth? If you value your time at $100 or $500 or $1,000 an hour, well, $100 saving you 10 hours, well, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Why wouldn't you do it? I want to go back now, unless you have any other things on top of your head that you would automate, even just for like, just the the, the everyday person? Oh, um, Maybe systemize? Bills. <laughs> Yep. I just put them on direct. I just put bills on direct debit. I just yep. put small things that are just tedious and that you have to remember to do. I just uh, systemize it. It's as easy as that. Now, what about recording your income and expenses? Um, you know, being fiscally responsible. 
How do you do that? Recording all expenses. Um, I outsource yeah. that to my wife. Okay. Which sounds so modern, doesn't it? Um, no, what I I know rough, I have an accountant bookkeeper that's on a retainer who takes care of everything each week. I know we basically have we don't really follow a budget or anything like that because neither of us are like too lavish of anything that we do. We're pretty not basic, but we are, we know what we like. We know what we're going to spend our money on. Um, all that is pretty basic. We just let the we just let money come in, and we don't really watch it going out too much. It's not something that we're super focused on at the moment. Okay. Uh, it's something because we're we're just moving to a new place of setting up. We know there's going to be expenses. We just manage them to a point, and then when that's all done and taken care of, then the next step for that is to literally have multiple accounts where money's going back and forth based on the needs of A, the business, and B, how much we have coming in. Who is the person or the people that you look at to teach you about financial and business um, acumen acumen and and like education? First person I I always go to is my accountant slash bookkeeper when I have questions about things that are going on, Uh, just because I want to make sure that everything's like above board and that I'm maximizing my income I have while minimizing my tax and protecting all assets as best as I can. Uh, from that, I just do a fair bit of reading in the financial world, like learning basic money management strategies, but I'm not an expert on that by any means. Of course. I have enough to be very comfortable, but I wouldn't have enough to say that I'm super cashed up and loaded and I can just drop in knolls everywhere. It's something that I'm learning at the moment is there one resource or book you'd recommend to the early trainer who like because i think a lot of the times a lot of coaches and trainers they have very poor business and financial acumen and they're they're running a race catching their tail is there anything you'd recommend i have to book no because i don't have a wide enough knowledge to understand that yet like i don't feel like i'd be qualified to say hey this book will give you all your answers yeah Uh, I've actually outsourced that and hired a financial advisor to put together part of my mentorship program that will go over that. Yeah. So it sounds like just watch your actions. You are looking to outsource other people to learn from. Yeah. This guy's an expert. Like I'm not an expert in financial stuff. I know a little bit, but I wouldn't come, I wouldn't pay me for advice. So (laughs) (laughs) I'll get someone else who's done it for, you know, 15 years. He's shown success. And he's also in the fitness industry as well, this guy. So he can, he's, he understands, he's a newbie in the fitness industry. And he's had a great amount of success in the finance industry. So he's, he can kind of like bridge those gaps a little bit. And he can see from talking to most trainers very quickly, hey, you're missing A, B, C, and D. Whereas if he writes a program and sends it to me, I'm like, well, that program sucks. You're missing all these things. Yes. So we can pick up on each other's weaknesses and strengths very quickly. That's great. Well, okay, let's bring the conversation back down to earth now, okay? Yeah. What I like asking for every person I have on here is that if you could go back and tell every, like you had an audience of all these young graduates coming out of Cert 3s and 4s, what, and you had to do a speech, what would you be telling them as they enter the industry? Key principles and pillars. Well, key principles and pillars. Uh, first one, it would be number one, it's very cliched. It's no, no one cares how much you know until you show how much you care. Mm-hmm. That's the first one. Uh, client, I've seen that being played out repeatedly from what's happened with the change in the world, COVID, particularly PTs who struggle to go to online because they're, why would they keep tra- supporting their trainer? Because they didn't have that kind of bond, that relationship built. 
so besides the fact that some people obviously had financial issues, I feel like if you, well, I've seen like my client, longest client, 16 years, like that's ridiculous, right? Um, if the client sees that you care, they like you, so you're a personable personal trainer, and then you know your stuff, they don't really have a reason to leave. That's so they know how much you care and then they discover how much you know. So first thing, give a damn about the people that you work with and be personable. Second thing, make it about them. Make the coaching about the client. Make Don't dictate, you do not know the answers because the client is the expert on your life, not you. And on their life. Things that I was very guilty of as a younger trainer was saying, oh, this is your problem. It's blah, blah, A, B, C, D. Very judgy, very, I know better, this is your problem, very, I'm coming from the position of power, rather than actually working with that person in the context of their life and then uh, helping them in that context. The third thing would be is you don't know what your biases are, so just assume you have them. So that is kind of like, again, young trainer, everyone when they learn a new skill or a new technique, as a coach, they want to give it to their clients pretty much immediately. Okay, like this is where you see the young trainer, they've just started and they've picked up a kettlebell for the first time. Like, oh, that's sick, I got a good workout, heaps good sweat. And then every single client's doing kettlebell swings, even though they may not be qualified for it or in the relative interest of their goals. So it's always to have the kind of principles, you don't know what your biases are. So practice the principle of no dogma and do use the right tool for the job for each client in the best in the constraints of them and then you'll do the best job those are three great pillars and i want to circle back to number two because i know we talked about it on our podcast and it's the something that so many young people do including myself that i used to do and i'm weeding out of myself through the help of also yourself how would you then best communicate or recommend coaches communicate with their clients to to not put their own biases and judgments um, on them. Like, you could do this, this, and this better. And there was a one phrase that you used, but I wonder if you have any other thoughts now. Was it EIC, example impact change? Or how's that working for you? That's how's the that one. That's the one. Um, cool. So, client, I use, how's that working for you? That's a very good question. Uh, the next one is a questioning framework when people... Uh, struggling with something. So we'll use the framework of nutrition because that's the most common one. Uh, example, impact change. So if someone, oh, I can't lose any weight. All right, cool. Well, let's find out what you're doing first because we don't know. But I can't, what I would have used to do is say, well, you're obviously not in the calorie deficit and you're having too many carbs, clearly. But it was very judgy, very, this is the answer. You need to sort this out. I would say, cool, let's work out what you're doing first. Let's just write down what you're doing. Let's just, See where you're at, no judgment, I just we just need to see. Then I would get the client and I'd go, cool, what have you learned from this? That's the example, what have you learned? And they're like, oh, I eat a lot of, they'll tell you, your clients will tell you exactly what it is that they're doing that's wrong in most cases, because people are pretty smart. I give my clients, I used to not give people a lot of credit, now I give them a lot more credit. Um, they'll say, oh, well, I'm eating chocolate every night or whatever it is. Then I'll say to clients, cool, what impact's that making on you? Oh, well, it's probably making me fat. Um, what, okay, and how's it affecting your training? How's it affecting your sleep? How's it affecting that? So the conversation is steered towards getting the client to understand, wow, this behavior 
this habit, this whatever it is, is impacting me on a pretty deep level. It's doing a lot of stuff. Um, then I'll say to them, cool, what do you want to change? How do you want that to change? So it empowers them to go, oh, what should I do? What can I do? I have options of what to do because a lot of coaches in that kind of dictatorial, I'm, I know what's good for you type mentality will say, you need to stop doing this straight away. Well, that behavior habit, whatever it is, has benefit for that client. Yes. It has a benefit. It's a psychological benefit. It's a social benefit. I don't, don't know. So what we want to do is we want to work out a strategy, but just a little bit better, just a little bit better. And what will happen if the client then picks a strategy to help deal with their problem, whether it's training, nutrition, whatever, it empowers them. It creates intrinsic motivation. It develops autonomy. Then they succeed. They feel better about themselves as well. Like it's a win-win situation. I don't think clients, clients come to PTs because they wanted something to change. Whatever that is, it could be weight, it could be strength, it could be energy levels, it could be self-esteem. There's a number of reasons why people train and they want to change their body, get fitter, etc. If we can tap into that and give them the autonomy and the intrinsic motivation to do it, their results will always be better than just doing it because someone's told them what to do. No one likes being told what to do. I hate being told what to do. People like making their own decisions uh, when it comes to something that's very, very personal to them. We get them to do that. They create that intrinsic motivation. They'll get better results and they'll generally exceed what they plan to do anyway. That right there, I was just getting that out because that script right there, those questions right there, I think that's that could be the blueprint. Like you could sell that one. Like that's a book right there. <laughs> the example impact change book. I think my wife would want credit on that. Um, <laughs> she helped me with that greatly with her mat. She, it's actually a management technique. Like a, what do you mean? Like business? Like a, what do you mean management? Ah, stuff. Like, uh. um, so, cause this is like from learning employees as well. Um, I hope he watches it, but my former business partner had a bit more of a temper than I did. He would, he struggled a lot with why don't people care? Why don't they work harder? All that kind of stuff. Um, whereas me, I didn't, I was like, yeah, they're, they're employees, man. Like they don't care as much. And a lot of time he'd, it'd be kind of like, you know, the stick, like punish people for doing something or not doing something right. Whereas I was much more like, okay, cool. I need to figure out what the hell is going on here. Um, and how can we get them to change? So when an employee was making a mistake, cool, this is what happened. What impact does that have on everyone else? Because in the business, like, Say you got a gym, you got six trainers there and you're doing classes and one trainer doesn't show up because they can't be bothered. They got home over the night before. All right, what impact does that have on the business? Oh, all the clients go get trained. What impact does it have on the other trainers? They got to pick up the slack. What impact it had on everything else? How can you change that behavior? And you empower the employee in that context to do a better job because they're aware now that what they were doing impacts much more than just them. So it's always about allowing people to have the realization of their what they do, their decisions. And then that's so much more powerful. It's always much more powerful when you realize something for yourself rather than it just being barked at you. It's like when people see their blood test results for the first time and they're like, oh shit, my cholesterol's through the roof. Or they jump on a scale after having been on it for like two years and they go, what, that's what I weigh? They look down in shock and they're like, all right, cool. 
I need to do something about it. It's they can have their partner yell and scream at them and say, you're getting overweight, you need to lose weight or whatever the context is, not saying that people need to lose weight, but a lot of people do get their pressure from their partner and they don't change till they see it for themselves. Getting people to have those realizations themselves and for them to use their own knowledge is a far better way of getting people to change rather than just telling them that they suck. However, I think that's so important and applies to so many people, but I always wonder that there are some people, and tell me what you think, how do we figure out which people need the honest mirror of reflection of that you are not who you need to be and you know whether it's some whether it's an intervention whether someone's addicted to drugs and you have like a like a a group of people come around them um to to put pressure on them to change because they 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 don't realize the ramifications of their own decisions i mean how do you and someone's maybe overweight and sick and tired like i know for some people they're especially like influential people i know there's stories out there of people who have had someone come to them and they have sh- demonstrated and explained to them something in some way that they hadn't heard before and that triggered something. How, how does that play into this? Well, that would be like a really good example of the Pareto principle, like 80-20. Yeah. Like 80% people need to come realization of stuff. 20% of people need their heads kicked in. Yes. In a polite way to say it. Okay. I think what would happen is the way I would do it, and I've had to do this before, is you keep... I, I will go to the client-centered approach first every single time because it's like that 80% success where I try and get the people to come to that re- realization. If I do that a couple of times and nothing changes, that's when I'll say something about it unless the behavior is very, very detrimental and very, very harmful. So if someone's doing something that's like really bad for them, like really, really bad, then yeah, I'll say something like ASAP because that's like duty of care type thing. Um, like say you're dealing with a client with anorexia or some kind of eating disorder. Yeah, you need to refer them to a medical professional, uh, psychological professional straight away. Getting them to realize that probably isn't beneficial over the long term because they're damaging themselves so severely. Um, like, so I actually did that with a mentoring student yesterday. So I've been trying to deal with him about, say, some confidence issues and how he presents himself to people in like that client centered way where I was like, look, you need to come to this realization. And he never really seemed to click. And I've been doing, dealing with it for a couple of weeks. So I kind of just yelled at him yesterday. I kind of just said, look, can I be honest with you? Yeah. May I give you some feedback? That's yeah. generally That's what I say. It, yeah. yeah. May I give you some feedback? Yeah. You're an idiot. This is your problem. So I was, then I'd become very blunt and very direct. And from a coaching perspective as well for working with your clients, the level of the goal can also determine how often you use that type of strategy. So if you're working with a general population client as a PT and they're not trying to get to the you know, 5% body fat or compete in the Olympics or get into a professional sports team, yeah, that client-centered approach is awesome for them. But if someone wants to get on bodybuilding stage or be a professional athlete where the stakes are high, you need to tell them that the stakes are high and give it how it is straight away. For most PTs, we're not going to be dealing with that type of population all the time. Um, but if I was like working with, I know like a lot of comp, comp prep coaches, if someone com, comes to them, they're like straight away say, no, nah, you're not ready in 12 weeks. You can't do it. And it's in that person's best interest at that point because they can't get in the shape that they need to in that time. 
Does that make sense? Completely makes sense because it's understanding the nuance and the context of the individual. And like, if the stakes are high for somebody, we don't have as much margin for and room for niceness or pleasantries. Exactly. If someone wants to become the best of the best of the best, I will literally say this is exactly what you need to do without any right. reservations there. Right. Like, the stakes are high, so the consequences are higher if it doesn't happen. You need to get there in the fastest way possible. For most general population clients, though, the stakes aren't as high. Yeah. At least not today. Yeah. For, they yeah, I, higher over time. But that's a problem, right? And it just, it's kind of like a... Uh, Part of human nature is that why do we often wait unconsciously until shit hits the fan, until we're in terrible health to take action? It's we need that realization. Yeah, we need that pain and suffering. Yeah, the pain is good. Uh, that's a, a lot of people. This is where um people wonder why I let people do things for a while. I'm like, because pain is pain leads to change. Like you, humans are much more motivated to get away from pain. Pain sucks. We all hate pain. We'll, and this is what another reason why I tell my PT or my mentoring students, hey, get really good at helping people in pain because people care about pain so much more than they do about pleasure because pleasure is so easy to get and pleasure is very short-lived. Like if you can get a client to lose five, 10 kilos, who cares? Because Jenny Craig can do it. Weight Watchers can do it. Curves can do it. F45 can do it. CrossFit can do it. All of those people can do it. But if you see a practitioner and you've had excruciating back pain and in two sessions, you're pain-free, how many people is that person going to tell? They're going to tell everyone who, who they ever speak to about that person. And that's how my whole business has been built. It's basically, I figured out a long time ago that pain's really powerful motivator. Um, pain really and you get people out of pain and then you can give them that pleasure afterwards as well like weight loss increased body composition improved aesthetic strength etc they're yours forever they don't want to leave because you've you've gotten them out of pain and provided that solution mm -hmm. it's like a double win that's such a great point solving people yeah pain and pleasure principle what was the uh initially we talked about all those questions in that framework you gave um the client-centric model you, was yep. that an acronym that you said? What was that called? Uh, EIC. Example, impact change. Example, impact change. Yep. How is each one of those relevant to the questions? Impact change. So the example is basically what is going on. So the example is whatever the situation is. So if it's food, it's the food that they're eating. It's the... Um, the lack of training that they're doing it's whatever the actual behavior or situation is example the impact is all the different things that that affects so all the different effects that it may have so like if you're eating let's say you're eating a shitty diet it can impact you um it'll impact your energy sleep training performance cognitive awareness uh a number of different things could you excuse me for 10 seconds no problem all right, example, impact, change. That makes a lot of sense. This is the framework, guys. Like this is the framework um, that you guys should be note-taking down um, to communicate with your clients. Like this is such a valuable template to go off that Paul is giving that I hope is resourceful to you guys. 
um, because Sorry about that. now we're good. Um, so impact. change, I'll so change. impact, yeah, all the different things that, that makes a difference on. Change is what do you want to be different? Like that's it. So how do you want that to be different? And how do you, what do you want to do differently to change those impacts? So if you impact it, say the example is you're drinking 12 beers a night. Cool. That's the, that's the behavior. The impact is it's affecting your sleep. Mm -hmm. It's affecting your training, nutrition, cognitive awareness, everything under the sun, right? Change is what do you want to do differently to help fix those negative impacts? So, for, and that's where it, you have the individualization. So for someone to, the best change would be to cut out all beers, no more alcohol, right? Because pretty quickly, besides a couple of days of withdrawal, you'll find that, you know, you sleep better, you train better, you will lose weight, all that kind of stuff, right? But for that person, like that may be too much of a change for them. It may be too much for them to handle. And then what happens is they fail. And when they fail, guess what happens? They feel like crap. They beat themselves up. They binge again. It goes down that cycle. So our job as a coach is to find that right level of change for that client at that point in time. That is, that's a great way, I think, to close this conversation, Paul, with, with this really practical framework that coaches can go off to round off the conversation, do you have any last comments, thoughts, something, anything you would communicate to the personal trainers out there listening? Yeah, I would. Um, yeah, so last thing I'd like to say to all PTs is just to understand that you're not just the PT. This grinds my gears. Um, so uh, what do you do for work? I'm just a personal trainer. Yeah pisses me off like no, no statement pisses me off more uh there do not so many of us look down at our jobs or what we do and realistically we can change people's lives in monumental ways we can ch totally change someone's life we can change their life expectancy we can do so much powerful stuff and it's okay to have pride in that because so many pts look down on what they do because there's idiots in the industry who and there's the instagram you know the tits and ass stuff that you see then people selling their bodies to get to get likes and all that kind of stuff ignore the ignore the noise let it go ignore the hype it doesn't serve you anyway so getting angry about it doesn't getting angry about it's never changed it and it's never going to be different from someone getting angry about it so what we should be doing is realizing hey you know what who cares about so and so we can do some really powerful amazing things let's just focus on that and be aware that it's a long haul type process. And the longer we're in it, the better we get it, the better it's going to be for everyone. It's a great way to finish. I'm really glad you brought that up. Taking some pride in our ability to monumentally change people's lives um, is really important. Yeah, can... it's like if you're a strength coach, man, if you like like strength coaches, like, you know, we, I know where it's a huge point of contention how underpaid they are. I totally agree with that. And it allows a lot of people to then look down at, oh, it's a strength coach. Man, you can help a kid uh, get a, up into a professional team. They can make the, someone working as a strength and conditioning coach can help improve someone's athleticism so much that they get into a professional team, they can do really well. We don't know how much change they can make. So it's the, the, the effects are long lasting and 
there's huge ramifications of what everyone does, but particularly what we do. And it will get better over time uh, because people are working really hard at it. And if we just do better work, it will always be better compensated absolutely. down the track. It mm. does suck now, absolutely. But most things do suck when they first start. Yeah, and by being better and by speaking of yourself more highly and behaving like somebody who respects themselves and has more integrity, don't you raise the standards naturally? Yeah. You raise the standards naturally and it will follow. I tell my students, this is with the automation thing, like act like a act like a dentist. Cool. Dentists like let's think of it like I'm going to not rant too long. The our industry is very young. Strength and conditioning, personal training is very young industry. Uh, nutrition coaching, nutrition science, very young industry, uh, relative to other things. Like dentistry has been going on for how many years now, right? People have always had two problems, same with medicine. People have always been sick. Uh, they were laughed at originally. The per first person who washed his hands was ostracized in medicine. People were like, you're an idiot. Is that Doesn't true? Do anything. Yeah, the first person who, he was working in the hospital and they were finding all these people were dying because people were going from the morgue, dealing oh, with dead right. bodies, dealing with life. Yeah. He, washed hands. he was an idiot. And like doctors used to do bloodletting and all kinds of stupid stuff, right? And they weren't respected. So then they weren't paid. It's been going on for a long time. So why don't we, and you look at like a dentist, for example, they conduct themselves in a pretty high level. They have bookings. You come when the booking is. You don't tell your dentist, oh, I'll just come around there. Act like that, act like a dentist, act like a lawyer, act like a professional. Then over time, you will be treated like a professional. If not by the total group, but by your immediate peer group and the clients that you serve, you will be treated as such. So act like how you want to become eventually and that will eventually happen. That's great. Paul Meldrum, another great conversation, my friend. Very grateful to be able to talk <laughs> to you again. Where can people find you? Can we pre can we people pre-order the book yet? If you DM me, you can. <laughs> You'll send the link out. Okay. I'll send the link to people directly. <laughs> Beautiful. We've opened that up. Paul, where can people find you if they want to learn more? Sign up to your mentorship. Uh, meldrumperformancecoaching.com no.au so it's meldrum m-e-l-d-r-u-m performancecoaching.com uh, website has all details there or you can add follow me on Facebook and Instagram same meldrum performance coaching there's also a YouTube which is the same but there's not much stuff there about the mentorship it's just like 200 exercise videos um, and they're the main places to come get me beautiful I always learn so much talking to you Paul thank you so much for your time again and I look forward to uh, seeing you in person when we can no problem, buddy. Thank you. No problem. See you, Paul. See you soon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Meldrum. Man, love talking to that dude. Uh, such a great human being, coach and communicator. Just really understands the, the nuances well beyond um, X's and O's of coaching, but how to get the most out of human beings and mentor people. And I'm very grateful to, to have to, to speak to him again. Um, and I say again, for those who don't know, uh, I spoke to him on my personal podcast called Talking Chimps, on uh, which is on all podcast platforms and YouTube if you want to see it. It's nearly three hours long. We go deep in the weeds about everything. But other than that, guys, I hope you go back, re-listen to that conversation, take notes of, as I was doing, on the communication strategies that you guys can use as coaches. And not just coaches. Not just coaches, guys. You're in any managerial position, whether you're at retail, hospitality, whether you're managing people, 
right? You can use that framework to better communicate with people. If there's one thing we all need to do better in this time, it's that is communicate to each other. See, communicate with both sides. See both perspectives. Have an open, honest dialogue. Build commonality before pitting each other's differences against each other. And how do we do that? Instead of trying to change people, change the world, change ourselves, and look to see how people can change themselves first by asking the right questions, measuring what you're doing. Hey, what impact is that having on you? How is that affecting X and Y goal that you want to do? And then how do you want to change it? And they're creating the change. You're creating the change. I don't want to change you. Don't become a personal trainer and coach. It's probably not for you. But if you do want to become a great personal trainer and coach, then we might be a, a great fit for you. So that's it. We're done. Orphic Education. You can find us on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook. You guys know the deal. OrphicEducation.com. If you, if you want to be great, align yourself with people who are doing great things. That's it. Much love. I'm Alexander Emmanuel Sandalis, uh, and I'll see you guys next week. You can find me on the internet by Googling my name. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Very grateful if you've made it this far.